Good morning, everyone. I'm Wimala, and today is March the 1st. So, let's get started. Uh, I know everybody's still focused on the news, and I hope you're still have pray praying and dedicating your uh, dedicating merit to the people in Ukraine, to the oppressors, and to the victims. Uh, we have to remember this is part of loving-kindness practice, too. We can't leave out the people, the beings we think of as oppressors when we send loving-kindness, when we send compassion. We're sending it out to all beings. And however, however they're being affected, we're working from both ends, right? We're working to help uh, Marianne Wilson... Uh, Williams had a beautiful prayer, and, uh, and I posted it on Facebook, but it, so many people now are, are mentioning and, and uh, we're recognizing that we need to be not just taking care of and praying for uh, our side, if we want to call it that, the victim taking, uh, wanting to have compassion for the victims, but we need to have compassion for the the um, the oppressors, the ones the ones that we feel are raging the war and causing it. They need kindness and compassion just as much as the victims. Uh, it may be at a different level, but that's that's what we're aiming for. That's part of our. That's part of our practice and our basic daily practice. So we have to extend it all the way out. So that makes it harder. <laughs> that makes it harder for us. It's so much easier if we can just write off the oppressors. And they're, but we're, we're going beyond this duality. We're going beyond the good and bad. We're, we're reaching out to, to everything. So today we're going to read more about voidness, about uh, non, not self, and what that concept means and why it's so important. And it's exactly important for this very reason. Uh, if we, we think about what we identify with, what we think of as this is a good thing and this is a bad thing, it's the same, it's the same thing. Uh, picking sides, right? So, we are in the chapter not clinging to anything, and we're reading this chapter hopefully a little slowly because this is really explaining about Dhamma, what is Dhamma, and we're realizing that all things are Dhamma, and all things uh, have that quality of sunyata, so everything is voidness. So his last uh, equation that Bhikkhu voted. Buddhadasa Bhikkhu, in his book, Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree, his equation, he says, to think in terms of logic. This was the last section we read. All things equal Dhamma. All things equal void, voidness. Dhammas equal voidness. We can express this in any number of ways, but the important point is to understand that there is nothing apart from nature, and all nature is voidness, is sunyata. Nothing whatsoever should be grasped 
looked at or clung to as being I or mine. So from this, it can be seen clearly that voidness is the nature of all things. Only by ending every kind of delusion can sunyata be discerned. To see voidness, there must be panya, which is wisdom, that is undiluted, pure, and true. That was the end of the section we just read. So, and Gret, I want you, when we read about this, think about this in terms of what's going on in the world today. Just add another layer to the, what we have to understand. It's difficult enough to understand, not clinging to anything, right? And the concept of sunyata. But now add on the category of what we see in the world today. There is a further category of dhammas. And remember in Sanskrit, this is dharma. The dhammas of avijja, of false knowing and delusion, which are reactions arising from the contact of the mind with the world of materiality. Material, materiality, I was right. As we said earlier, when the mind or a mental dhamma comes into contact with a material dhamma, a reaction of feeling takes place. That experience may follow either the path of ignorance, avijja, or of clear, correct knowing, vijja. The direction taken depends on the external conditions and the nature of that group of concocted things, the sankharas, that make up the experience. They're just more dhammas, dhammas of ignorance, causing grasping and clinging to an illusory self and to things as belonging to self. Don't forget that they're just dhammas and that their true essence is voidness. Ignorance is sunyata just as much as our wisdom and nibbana. If we look on them all as being dhammas, dhammas are phenomena, dhammas are nature, dhammas are things. If we look on them all as being dhammas equally, we will continually see their voidance of self. Dhammas of this level, even though they are one and the same thing as voidness, may still result in ignorance, may still cause the illusion of self to arise in consciousness. So we should be wary of the dhammas of the grasping and clinging kind and the dhammas of ignorance which are also included in all things. If we really understand all things, this ignorant grasping and clinging won't take place. If we don't understand them and just blindly follow the influence of our animal instincts, which are stupid and deluded, we open the doors to the dhammas of ignorance over and over again. We are full of grasping and clinging as if it were an inheritance that has been passed down for an immeasurable amount of time. We can see that from the moment of birth, we receive training from those around us, some of it intentional and some unintentional, solely in the ways of ignorance, solely in the ways of grasping itself and the belongings of self. Never once were we trained in the ways of selflessness, selflessness. Children never receive that sort of training. They are taught only in terms of self. 
Originally, at birth, a child's mind doesn't have much sense of self, but it gets stirred up by the environment. As soon as a child opens its eyes or experiences anything, it's taught to cling to that thing as being my father, my mother, my home, my food. Even the dish that the child eats from has to be mine. No one else can use it. This unintentional process, the arising development and growth of the child's ego consciousness, occurs continually according to its own laws. By the time the child has grown into an adult, she or he is stuffed full of attachment and the mental defilements that it brings, that it causes. So the, the one of those causes for mental defilements, and this let's, this is sentence is important because we've been reading a lot about defilements in the book group and the sutta study. By the time the child has grown into an adult, she or he or they is stuffed full of attachment and the mental defilements that it causes. causes. So for us, ego is life. Life is ego. When the instinct of clinging to self is the ordinary life, that life is inseparable from dukkha. It is heavy, oppressive, entangling, constricting, smothering, piercing, and burning. All symptoms of dukkha are suffering, stress. The dhammas of foolishness, delusion, and ignorance emerge continually because our culture and the way we live encourage the dhammas of ego, selfishness, and ignorance. They don't encourage the dhammas of knowledge. Consequently, we undergo the punishment for our original sin. We are punished when we are continually misled by our seeming autonomy and the illusions of self without ever learning our lesson. The young aren't aware of this punishment. The middle-aged aren't aware of it, and even many of the old aren't aware of it. We should at least be able to realize it by middle age or old age so as to escape the punishment, emerge from the cage of the cycles of birth and death, and reach the boundary boundlessness of clarity, freedom, and peace. This is all a lot to take in, right? <laughs> I'm going to read one more section and then we'll stop for today. But, uh, yeah, read, come, go back and listen and let it soak in because this is really, this is really uh, liberating teaching. Goodness and grasping. The fact is that if one grasps and clings even to goodness, that is dukkha. In this sense, that which the world assumes to be goodness is actually false or evil. Goodness is still dukkha. It has the dukkha appropriate to it. So it's still stress. It's still suffering. Goodness is still dukkha. It has the dukkha appropriate to it because it's not yet void. It's still busy and disturbed. Only when there is sunyata, that voidness, and one is beyond goodness, 
Can there be freedom from dukkha? So if things are good or things are bad, there's that, there's vibration, there's that uh, shaking going on. It's still busy and disturbed. If it's good, we don't want it to end. If it's bad, we want it to end. We want to get back to good. So we're always jumping, going from one end to the other. And that's, that's why we're trying to move away from duality. Therefore, the main principle of Buddhism, as elucidated in the phrase, Sabe Dhamma Nalam Abhinivesaya, is nothing other than the complete elimination of grasping at and clinging to things as being self, or as belonging to self. There is nothing beyond this. When we are completely identified with grasping, when we and grasping are truly the same thing, what can we do? Good question, right? Let's <laughs> read that again. When we are completely identified with grasping, when we and grasping are truly the same thing, what can we do? Who can help the mind when it is in such a state? The answer to this question is nothing else but the mind itself. We have already said that there is nothing other than Dhamma. Dhamma, the phenomena, things, nature, truth. Falseness is a Dhamma. Correctness is a Dhamma. Dukkha is Dhamma. The extinguishing of Dukkha is a Dhamma. The tool to remedy dukkha is a dhamma. The body is a dhamma, and the mind is a dhamma. Therefore, there is nothing other than dhammas, which must continue according to their natures, depending on mechanisms within them. What we call good or evil doesn't matter. So think about that when we think about the uh, think about the war going on. If a certain person, when making contact with the world, increasingly develops along the lines of mindfulness and wisdom, we call that goodness or virtue, and that's punya. If another person, when making contact with the world, increasingly develops along the line of stupidity and delusion, we call that evil. Papa. If we observe, we can see that nobody is born disadvantaged. Each one of us is born with eyes, ears, a nose, a tongue, a body, and a mind. Outside each one of us, there are the same forms, sounds, smells, taste, tactile sensations, and mental objects. Every one of us has the opportunity to make contact with these things and we all contact them in exactly the same way. Why then do we split up into those who follow the path of foolishness, which is, which is sinful and unwholesome, and those who follow the path of wisdom, which is virtuous and skillful? We are fortunate that the dhammas, even the harmful ones, are actually a support for people. Suffering chastens us and makes us remember. We are like the child who tries to pick up fire and is unlikely to do it again once it has seen the consequences. 
with material things, seeing is easy. But when it comes to picking up the fire of grasping and clinging, the fires of greed, aversion, and delusion, most of us aren't even aware that we're holding any fires at all. On the contrary, we misguidedly believe them to be lovable and desirable, and so we are never chastened. We never learn our lesson. I think I have to read this next page or it leaves us really hanging. Okay, well, I'm going to finish this chapter because this next part is uh, the remedy. Burning Dhammas. There is only one remedy, and that is to investigate the true nature of these Dhammas until we know that these Dhammas are fire. They cannot be grasped at or clung to. Then we are following the path of satipanya, that's the mindful wisdom, learning our lessons and remembering that whenever anything is grasped as I or mine, the fire is ignited. It isn't a fire that burns the hand. It's a fire that consumes the mind and heart. Sometimes it burns so deep within that we aren't aware that there's a fire at all. Thus we sink into the fiery mass that is the round of birth and death. That's what a samsara, that's what we call samsara, which is the very hottest fire there is, hotter than a blast furnace. If we fail to look on things like a child who has grabbed hold of fire once and refuses to do it again, we can end up in the worst kind of furnace. The Buddha explained that when the painful consequences of grasping and clinging are seen, the mind will relax its grip. So the question is, have we seen the painful consequences of grasping yet? That's the question. That's that's a good one. The question is, have we seen the painful consequences of grasping yet? If we haven't, then we haven't relaxed our grip. And if we haven't relaxed our grip, then we are not void. On another occasion, the Buddha taught that whenever one sees sunyata, or the voidness, then one finds contentment in Nibbana. At that moment, we find contentment in Nibbana or Nirvana. Only when one begins to see the non-existence of self will the mind learn to find contentment in the experience of Nibbāna. Anything that can be known through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, or mind is called that experience. Ayatana is the word for experience. Nibbāna is called an ayatana here because it is merely another dhamma that can be experienced. How can we be so foolish as not to see it? We will be able to know it from the moment we see the state void of self. Because on the relaxation of grasping and clinging, we will be content with the experience that is Nibbana. But it's difficult. As I've said, our life is one of constant grasping. When there is no abatement of that grasping, There is no voidness. 
And so no contentment in the experience of Nibbana. We can see the truth of this point by taking a look at other religions. Other religions do not have the term grasping at and clinging to the words I and mine. Why is this so? Because they teach a self to be grasped at and clung to. Because they do not regard such grasping as wrong, it becomes right. In fact, it becomes the goal of that religion or sect. They teach the attainment of self. In Buddhism, however, attachment to self is specified as a defilement, as foolishness and delusion. The Buddhist practice lies in its complete relinquishment. Consequently, the complete teaching of anatta, not-self, is found only in Buddhism. Unlike the sects that teach a self to be grasped at or to be attained, we teach the complete destruction of the sense of self. The aim of this teaching is to perceive the state of anatta, the condition found in all things of being void of self. Only Buddhists talk about anatta. Knowledge and understanding of it can arise only in those people who have been taught that all things are not self and should never be grasped at or clung to. If one is taught that there is a self that must be grasped at and clung to, there is no way we can pr- one can practice to realize the sunyata of self. We must realize, and sunyata is voidness. We must realize that just as it is necessary to see the danger of fire in order to be afraid of being burnt, so we must also see the danger of the fires of greed, aversion, and delusion, and of clinging to self, which is the root cause of all fires. Then we become gradually bored with and averse to these fires. We are able to relax our grip on them and never think of lighting any more fires. I kept thinking as I was reading uh, when he talked about even as a child, uh, we even our dishes. So I had a, <laughs> I had a, I don't know why you uh, give a child a, like a porcelain dish, but you know it's very popular. I had one that had a, uh, a was a little plate, and it had I go here says the fork, and I go here says the spoon, the fork on the left and the spoon on the right. You know, I was beginning to learn manners even as a small, very small child, and. And I carried that around with me, you know, and stuff in my belongings for forever. And at one point, a friend accidentally dropped it, was looking at it because, uh, you know, it, it was from her generation too. She looked, was looking at it and uh, dropped it and broke it. And it, I, she was such a dear friend, and I, it was almost impossible for me to forgive her for that. <laughs> and, you know, she, she was able to mend it, but that, that wasn't good enough for me because that was my plate. That was my childhood. 
And years later, actually just uh, maybe four or five years ago, she found that same plate at a, an antique store, and she sent it to me. And when I got it, I thought, well, that she must have mended my broken plate and did such a great job of it. And uh, I had almost forgotten about it, but certainly not completely, because the minute I saw it, I recognized it. And then I realized that wasn't my original plate, but it was she had found another one. And uh, I think it scarred both of us. You know, it was, thank goodness we're still really dear friends, but... Oh, I was, I was very attached to that being my play. It was like it, I, it was. It was like she broke apart a part of my childhood, and it was a plate that probably thousands and thousands of other children had. <laughs> the, the same plate. It's beautiful. It's lovely, but uh, it was just a plate. So, um, yeah, we're we we're immediately began to. You know, that's what we're taught from the time we're, we're born, to learn what I and mine, and we, we know soon who our people are, right? We know mother and father. So it's a, uh, yeah, Diane, I agree, Diane, these are very difficult concepts, and they cause us all a lot of suffering, because we grow up in this culture, and I think that's why, if when we really understand these concepts, then we then we allow them to penetrate. And like uh, Buddha Dasa says, it's hopefully it starts to happen in middle age and old age. <laughs> that it's that difficult, you know. We're just hopeful that by the time we die, we we some of this we understand and it penetrates us. But I think when we're looking at war. And we're looking at even sending loving kindness to our difficult people. It's very hard. So how in the world do we send prayers uh, to the to the oppressors of people uh, in other countries, anywhere there's war and strife? And how do we how do we send uh, loving kindness and compassion to the people we think of as the bad guys? We we want we don't want to do that. We we feel there's something even wrong with that concept. So that's something we can look at. Uh, it's very hard to look at it. It's but we see it if we look at it, it even in our own country. It's hard to send. It's it's even even with our if we have a neighbor that causes us grief. You know, it's hard to send loving kindness to them. Yes, and Heather's saying, it's hard, but they probably need it the most. And we know that that's when we are transforming from within and change ourselves, see the changes it brings on ourselves, we know that we've seen our own hearts change. And it's from, it's from what we've, what we've worked really hard to understand and allow to sink in. And then we see it, and so why wouldn't we want to send those same um, those same good thoughts of compassion and loving kindness to people that we think are doing evil? Well, obviously, they've there's something that they they haven't uh, they haven't seen the good in themselves, or they haven't seen the good in other people. So. 
um, this is this is definitely something we need to work with because it's it's so ingrained in us. It's so part of us that it's what keeps us on this whole wheel of samsara. And when we think about equanimity, it's that being able to step back. <laughs> yeah, I know that little Wimala in her cute plate. <laughs> I still must have some attachment to it, too, because it came up in my mind immediately. Um, but yeah, we we are attached to things. We are also attached to things and hang on to them because if they are those, you know, the pictures I have of my children and even other people's children on my refrigerator are pictures of them when they're young. And there, I have like six pictures of... of uh, other people's children, of Bo and Tiff's kids, and then pictures of my my children's friends' kids and my kids. They all are the same age. They're all little kids. They're their elementary school or almost baby pictures. And that's what I have tacked on my refrigerator. <laughs> we are attached to those old images, right? Um so yeah, we this is a lot to work with and this uh this is I think it's important that he's talking about this is a concept that is is unique to the Buddha's teachings. And so it's it may be very different from your own if you aren't Buddhist, it may be very different. Um Yeah, your com- the comments people are making are wonderful. I'm getting distracted by those. So um, I think, let's see if we have time. But we don't have much time, but let's at least end with uh, by sending merit. May everything that we do and say and think today be done not only for the benefit of ourselves and our loved ones, but of all beings everywhere. In all countries torn with with war and famine and disaster, may we share the merit of everything that we do with the good and the bad, with the oppressor and the victim, letting go in our minds of that division. See all things as Dhamma. See all beings as Dhamma. So thank you everyone. Uh, Wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, comments. So I will see you Thursday and have a wonderful day. A little bit gray here, but uh, it's warm. It's for us. It's in. It's forty, I think. Okay. Have a beautiful day. <laughs>